Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. Now on SportsCenter at 6, Adrian Wojnarowski on why the Bucks fired Jason Kidd and the details of Kawhi Leonard's chilling rehab effect on the Spurs. Plus, Brian Windhorst says it's finally time for the Cavs to change their starting lineup. Next stop, Minnesota. An inside look at the plays that shaped Brady's 11th playoff comeback. I'm not going to stop them Here's Michael Smith and Jamel Hill. And here's Pat Shermer, Giants fans. The Viking season is over, so the Pat Shermer era in New York has begun. Giants just a little while ago officially naming Shermer, 52 years old, as the 18th coach in franchise history. Of course, went 9-23 in 2011-2012 with the Browns. Gets a second shot at being the head man. Giants fans maybe not quite as excited the way he finished up in Minnesota, but he was the assistant coach of the year. More on that later. From breaking news to a developing story here on SportsCenter, the Bucks have fired coach Jason Kidd. They fired him late this afternoon as first reported by Adrian Wojnarowski and later confirmed by a team announcement. Woj join us in just a second to explain why this happened. But in the interim, the team will be coached by Bucks assistant Joe Prunty. And here's the summary of how Kidd did as Milwaukee's coach. The Bucks went 139 and 152 in four seasons under Kidd with last season's 42 and 40 record, his best in three full seasons with the team. He reached the playoffs twice, but the Bucks were eliminated in the first round both times. Woj. What was the tipping point, as in why now, given that they got a game in a couple hours against the Suns? They did have a game in a couple. They do play tonight, and they do have three days off, and there was some consideration to allowing Kidd to coach tonight, and then they had three days off and putting Joe Prenti in. Then they decided to do it today. The team and ownership front office's mind has underachieved. They're in eighth place right now in the Eastern Conference. They thought they'd be a team fighting uh, for home court advantage in the first round. Um, and there's just not alignment right now between Jason Kidd, management, ownership, um, and they ultimately felt they were going to make a change at some point with Kidd and, to, and decided if it was inevitable, they would do it now. All right, speaking of alignment, let's talk about the alignment between Jason Kidd and their star Giannis Antetokounmpo. So how much did their relationship factor into this decision? Listen, Giannis has a good relationship with Kidd. He is a respectful guy. He's going to be respectful of whoever the coach is. But the organization didn't see uh, something there that they felt was going to injure them long-term with Giannis. He wants to win. They feel like they've got a team that can do better. And another factor here, John Horse is the new Bucks general manager. He was hired this summer. Uh, Jason Kidd was hired by ownership four years ago. Over John Hammond, their previous GM, they're giving John Horst, the GM now, a chance to hire his own coach uh, to get aligned with somebody long-term here. So what kind of coach is he looking for? Needless to say, a pretty coveted job once it's on the open market. This right? is the job on the market. Because of uh, Atanakumpo, this is the job everybody in the league wants. They have a new arena, new practice facility coming in Milwaukee. And to have the Greek freak as your cornerstone, probably the best 25-and-under player in the world, a future uh, MVP in the league, every top candidate. Monty Williams, former New Orleans coach, is in the San Antonio front office right now, uh, will certainly be a, a prime candidate there. Uh, one assistant coach to watch on this, James Borrego, who uh, is a, an assistant in San Antonio. But they're going to be able to really choose who they want. Everyone else is getting in line behind this Milwaukee job. All right, you go take a call. 
Make a coffee run if you like. We're going to need you back later to respond to denials of a rift between Kawhi and the Spurs. All right, once again, Pat Shermer, as expected. Worst kept secret in the league. He's who the Giants were waiting on. Vikings fans wanted that to be a two-week longer wait, but 38-7 loss freed Pat Shermer up to be officially hired by the New York Giants. Again, with 9-23, and his first go-round with the Browns, which kind of looks impressive. Given in hindsight, years. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's what the Giants had to say. Uh, oh, just, excuse me, Pat Shermer had to say officially, I want to thank John Mara and Steve Tisch for giving me the opportunity to be the head coach of the New York Giants. He said, I'm looking forward to getting to work with Dave Gettleman, the new GM, and Kevin Abrams, and starting the process to once again build a championship team. I've been fortunate to work with many great coaches and players, and I am thankful for those relationships. I would like to thank my family and friends for their tremendous support. All right. Schefter, thanks for joining us. Hello, Perfect man. timing, right? Uh, so tell us, uh, how did this all go down with the Giants and Pat Shermer? Well, I think first we have a coach who's experienced, and I think that that can't be discounted. Teams like to get coaches who have previous head coaching experience. They've given Pat Shermer a five-year contract, which is one year longer than they gave Ben McAdoo when they hired him. So basically, the five years will match the amount of time of the contract of the player that they draft in the upcoming April draft. So if you go ahead and take a quarterback in April, he's tied to your organization for five years, and Pat Shermer is now tied to your organization for five years. And in this day and age, it's difficult to come up with an offensive play caller. Pat Shermer is usually one of the best in the league at that. He can lead the organization in that regard. And don't discount the fact that Jack Del Rio, the former Oakland Raiders head coach, could be coming along with him as defensive coordinator. They have the same agent. Del Rio wants to continue coaching. And a Shermer-Del Rio package becomes attractive for the New York Giants, who now have made that higher official. Panthers have a defensive coordinator vacancy, now that Steve Wilkes has been hired as Cardinals coach. How did he win Arizona over? Listen, this is the third different defensive coordinator in Carolina this year also. But Steve Wilkes is a guy who was a finalist in Tennessee in a job that went to Mike Vrabel. He was a finalist for the New York Giants job. He spoke to Arizona. He spoke to Indy. He was clearly a hot head coaching candidate. They liked his leadership. They liked his presence. I think they liked the fact that finally he got a year as a defensive coordinator this past year, which elevated him into a position that he could get a head coaching job. Now, the issue there in Arizona is finding an offensive coordinator. And there are some people who believe Darryl Bevel could wind up as his offensive coordinator because when you hire a coach with a defensive background, It's imperative that you have a matching counterpart on the other side of the football. So in this particular case, he's got the defense. It'll be critical to see who he hires on the offensive side of the football. But that was a big hire for the Arizona Cardinals. All right, more on the coaching carousel in a second. Yo, y'all remember the offseason talk of the Patriots going undefeated and an eighth trip to the Super Bowl being a foregone conclusion? Well, a week after a week one blowout loss and two and two start, then last week's freak injury to Tom Brady's throwing hand, another 10-point do-or-die deficit. It really is crazy to see the dynasty that the NFL just can't kill here again. And then Bill Belichick's like, now we have five Lombardis and eight Lamar Hunts. Put that with the rest. A little bit half and half, you know, still celebrating. uh, But, you know, at the same time, you know, starting to get, you know, familiar with the Eagles. You know, right now we're just kind of dealing with, you know, logistics and, you know, how we work the families out, you know, on this whole trip. So, uh, you know, but, you know, it's a little bit half and half. It's a big week, you know. It's not a regular bye week, and you know it's a week where, um, you know, we need to get a lot of preparation done and prepare like we're going to play on Sunday. Um, you know, so I think that's going to be a big thing, you know, to stress to some of the younger guys or guys who haven't, you know, been in this position and 
uh, you know, get as much as we can, and we need to prepare. Like I said, like we're going to play on Sunday. Um, it's a big week. We'll get a uh, a good amount of work in. Um, definitely, probably get to our game plan stuff, get to our scouting. I mean, it's not like we're looking ahead to other potential opponents. There's only one team that we're looking to to plan, so all of our energy is going to be put towards them. All right, Adam, everybody knew it was a possibility that the Patriots would lose both their coordinators and Matt Patricia set to go as the Lions coach, correct? That's the expectation. All right, and so now we have Josh McDaniels. What's going on with him and the Colts? Well, here's the difference. No second interview for Matt Patricia because, again, the Lions are set to go. There are still issues that they're still working through with Josh McDaniels. Somebody like that obviously wants to hear certain things from certain people, and I think he wants to be very meticulous in his decision. So they still have some details to iron out to see if they can get something done. And again, the Colts want him. Let's be very clear about that. He's the guy that they plan to hire. The question is, they have to convince him still? We'll see if they can do that. I think ultimately he does wind up in Indianapolis, but this is not a done deal yet. All right, uh, almost a done deal. Todd Haley as OC in Cleveland. Why is he a good fit? Well, listen, first of all, he's going to be calling the plays there, not Hugh Jackson, the head coach. But here's somebody that John Dorsey, the GM, knows, Hugh Jackson knows. And when Pittsburgh fires him and he knows the division and they need somebody to come in there and call plays and work with the quarterbacks, Todd Haley is a guy that makes some sense. And obviously he's had success in the league wherever he's been, but he's going to be the Browns' new offensive coordinator. That's going to happen at some point here this week. And Todd Haley will be the new guy there. All right. Appreciate it, Alan. Thanks yeah, for the latest. Success. Yeah, thanks for breaking it out. All right, arguably the quietest player in the NBA is reportedly causing a pretty significant ruckus within his organization. Sources told ESPN the relationship between Kawhi Leonard and the Spurs has become, quote, distant and, quote, disconnected as Leonard has tried to come back from a right quad injury that has kept him sidelined for most of this season. So let's recap how this situation came to be. Kawhi left game one of the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors with a sprained left ankle. The Spurs were up 23 when he left the game, and not only did they lose that game, Leonard didn't play the rest of the series, and they got bruised. Uh, then during training camp, the Spurs announced that Leonard would miss the start of the season with a quad injury, which caused him to miss the first 27 games of the season. Then on January 5th against the Suns, Leonard injured his left shoulder, which cost him the next three games. It was diagnosed as a partial tear, but Leonard returned against the Nuggets on January 13th for one game. He then missed the following game because of the Hawks, because of that quad. And last week, the team announced he was out indefinitely. So a lot of injury drama there, Woj. You're back with us to break this down. This was your reporting. So what is the root of this friction between the Spurs and Kawhi Leonard? Really with the beginning of this right quad injury that uh, has kept him out of all but nine games this season, uh, the treatment, the, the treatment, the rehabilitation, um, the frustration that has come on both sides from their inability to get a solution here and get this right, um, it has caused friction here between the organization, Kawhi Leonard. Uh, he's been described to me, to, to us in our reporting today, uh, as distant, disconnected from the organization uh, and the coaching staff. And he... He already is quiet. He's not super communicative, um, and certainly that can play a part in it. But there's a gulf right now between the Spurs and Kawhi Leonard um, as they work here to try to get him back healthy again and, uh, and playing at a high level. So no surprise, R.C. Buford and then I believe Kawhi's uncle uh, were on record as denying that there was a rift here. Not that you'd expect anything different. So what's your level of confidence knowing what you know that this gulf, as you described it, uh, can be narrowed if not closed and get him back on the court in time to make a playoff run? Well, well the hope certainly is that he gets back healthy, playing at a high level, 
uh, and that starts to take care of some of this. Uh, but uh, there's no question there needs to be some relationships repaired in San Antonio uh, with Kawhi uh, and the team. And, and uh, you know, it remains to be seen here how that's going to go. But certainly the Spurs track record, the relationships R.C. Buford and, of course, Greg Popovich have had with their star players over 20 years, you know, 18 years, 20 years together. Um, you, know, you certainly like the Spurs' chances to figure out a way because in almost every other instance with any great player they've had, they've been able to do that. All right. Thank you, Woj. Team that compared to went to the Super Bowl, so maybe the Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> Disconnect, go to the finals. Meanwhile, the reigning top dog and 10th ranked UNC Tar Heels looking for a fifth consecutive win in Blacksburg tonight coming up at the top of the hour right here on ESPN. Uh, Jay Billis, are the Tar Heels hitting their stride after four wins in a row? And if so, how dangerous can this team be? You know, Michael, I think North Carolina is getting better. I I don't think the Tar Heels are going to be as good this year as they were last year. It was a team that was really powerful on the inside. It was the best offensive rebounding team in the country. And and I thought all year long the best team in the country. I don't think they're capable of doing that this year. They're more perimeter-oriented, and they're going to have to hit shots to win. Uh, They play more as a three-point shooting team. They do an interior team. And if their big guys, their freshman big guys, continue to get better then I think North Carolina's got a chance to be an Elite Eight team or beyond. But right now, there's no great teams. The ones that have a chance to be great are Villanova, Purdue, Michigan State, and Duke. Everyone else, very good, is going to have to be good enough. But I think that that could be good enough this year if somebody stumbles. Well, as usual, we got a great week of college basketball action on ESPN tonight. UNC Vitek, tomorrow night, Oklahoma, Kansas. Trey Young scored 48 on 39 shots Saturday, leading D1 with 95 turnovers as well. Exciting though he is, Jay, should there be any concern that Young is doing too much? A little bit, but I think Lon Kruger, Michael, will figure that out. He's a Hall of Fame caliber coach. He's got a Maserati that can go 200 miles an hour on the highway. He's just got to learn how to downshift in the residential areas. And and Lon Kruger doesn't want to take away how dynamic he is because he's got to score points for Oklahoma to win. I'll tell you who I think he is. I think he's Wild Thing from the movie Major League. And he's throwing the ball all over the yard now, but he can really bring it. And I think Lon Kruger is going to get him a pair of glasses, and he's going to see the game a lot better going forward. Uh, so so uh, watch, he's, he's Charlie Sheen in Major League. You got a Maserati and a Wild Thing analogy in <laughs> the same answer. All credit due to the question. Jay Billis, thank you very much. Looking forward to more of your analysis at the top of the hour from North Carolina Vitek. And as I mentioned, uh, Super Tuesday, Tuesday at 7 Eastern, Trey Young in Oklahoma, play host to Devontae Graham in Kansas. And as always, if needed or if you prefer, you can catch it on the ESPN app. And as a Maserati owner, you never take your foot off the gas. Anyway, perhaps the biggest story heading into championship Sunday was Tom Brady's thumb. Now that Brady is headed to his eighth Super Bowl after a comeback playoff win over the Jaguars. He is not surprisingly a little more forthcoming about the severity of his thumb injury. It wasn't, as Bill Belichick said, open heart surgery, but it wasn't a paper cut either. You know, we just we ran into each other and my thumb just got bent back. It wasn't his helmet or anything. It just, you know, kind of got, got bent back. That's why I thought it was a lot worse. It was pretty stressful. You know, I think I was stressed out. I just, because again, you know, you drive home and you get, you know, all these stitches in your hand in a place and you just, um, you know, you're just driving home and I got home and I saw my wife and she said, what happened? And I said, I know it's just accident practice. And she said, what's going to happen? I said, I don't know. We'll have to see how it goes. Not a great place for an injury to a quarterback, but, uh, it is, you know, kind of is what it is and it won't be a problem in a couple of weeks, which I'm really happy about. 
All right, Diana Rossini, who might as well be a resident of Foxborough at this point, back with the Patriots. Now, 24 hours later, the Patriots are already back in the building. Are they already breaking down film and Nick Foles, Philly's defense? What are they doing today? It's like you're here in the building, Jamel. That's exactly what they're doing. They got here early. They are taking a look at some film from last night's game. But, Jamel, today is all about the logistics of the Super Bowl. We're talking transportation, hotels, tickets. It doesn't sound like a big deal to you, but for these guys, there are a lot of details that go into it. And when you talk to the veterans about it all, they'll tell you the biggest challenge is... Be prepared to use the word no. Um... You have to tell people no, unfortunately, and then just remember we're going down there for one reason. And I know there's going to be a lot of hoopla and whatnot, but, you know, our focus needs to be on the game, our preparation, and going down there and playing our best game of the season. What makes it so challenging? Um, well, you're coordinating your family, you're coordinating your friends, you're coordinating um, hotel rooms, uh, tickets, transportation, uh, a lot of things that... Um, even if you've done it before, it's just it's a daunting task. When it comes Wednesday of this week or any other day, we can actually start paying attention to Philadelphia and Philadelphia only. I ain't got to hear phone calls from somebody else. Hey, Rick, I, I want to go to the game. I want to do this. I ain't got time for that. Once, well, today's Monday. Once Wednesday come, I want to hear nothing about it. Ticket, a hotel, flight, anything. How do you let people know? Huh? How do you let people in your life know that you're done talking about it? You don't see me pick up a phone call. Oh, don't even answer your text. Yeah, he just totally ignores them. Ricky Jean Francois, what a story this year, Jamel. Cut from the Redskins, cut from the Packers twice. Bill Belichick even cut him with the Patriots back in December, but then eventually brought him back, and he said he never in a million years would have imagined that this season he'd be going to the Super Bowl. All right, definitely a, a good ending for him, but I'm sorry, Diana. I am playing the world's smallest violin for the Patriots. Many of them have been through this multiple times. So, yeah, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Too many people are bothering you about going to the Super Bowl. Right? <laughs> I know. Hey, it's, it's tough when you have a lot of friends, but these guys are actually really stressed about it. All right. Thanks, Diana. We appreciate it. Westgate says that if Carson Wentz were the starting quarterback, the pro football championship would be a pick'em game instead of Philly being a five-and-a-half-point underdog, which they're quite comfortable in that role as we've come to find out throughout these playoffs. Uh, Coley Harvey, we know what Westgate thinks of Nick Foles, but what is head coach Doug Peterson saying about going way back with his quarterback after Foles' historic performance on Sunday as in joining Joe Montana as the only QBs to complete 75% in back-to-back playoff games? Yeah, Michael. Now, they do go way back, and we'll get to that in one second. But I also want to take you to another point in time, and that was just about a month or so ago. Right here at this spot, I was talking to you guys right after Carson Wentz's uh, ACL injury was confirmed by Coach Doug Peterson. And at that time, Doug Peterson said that he was extremely confident in Nick Foles. He felt like Foles would definitely lead this team going forward. And as you, you just mentioned about what Foles has done since, Certainly, that confidence continues to grow. But again, as you mentioned, it goes even further back than that, all the way to the draft. Here's what Peterson was reminded of by Foles last night. Well, I think it's important. Um, he reminded me again last night after after the game that that uh, that uh, I was the only only player or the only coach to go out and and work him out as a player. And uh, leading up to that draft, um, you know, it, it, it goes a long way. Uh, it goes a long way to, to in his confidence and my confidence in him and. And understanding that dynamic, even though we sort of separated and went went a couple different ways, but to be able to come back together now and and uh, do the things that, that uh, we've been able to do and he's been able to do, um, 
is is not only a credit to him, but I think just the the overall study that we did back back in you know 2012. Now you'll recall that Doug Peterson was the quarterbacks coach here in Philadelphia before uh, he took over as head coach uh, just last year, and that was back in 2012 when Foles was drafted by the Eagles. And you know this is a relationship where again the confidence is growing on both sides of the coin, particularly for Foles in the last couple of weeks. That confidence is 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 getting higher and higher as Peterson has seen primarily because he's getting time on task. He's getting more time to connect with his players, uh, with, his, with his teammates there in practice, but also to connect with them in games. And that's part of the reason why he was so successful last night. His last 15 passes that he threw in last night's game, all completions, and within them, three touchdowns to help the, uh, the Eagles get that win to get to the Super Bowl. All right, Coley, we appreciate it. Thank you. All right, and along those same lines, let's break down a couple plays of how the Patriots win came to be. You saw Tom Coffin there hoping to ruin their season again. A late second quarter, Jags lead 14 to 3, third and seven. See there, but they get a first down, but watch the play clock. Uh, got called off due to the delay of game penalty. Always on the quarterback. Sack on the next play, but forced the Jaguars to punt down to two minutes and a half. Tom Brady and the Patriots pass midfield. Ah, for Brandon Cooks, incomplete. But a flag on A.J. Boye for pass interference. Looked like they were kind of going back and forth there. Still 32-yard penalty. But, you know, take another look. Uh, as you saw, the contact from both players. Now, early in the fourth, Patriots down 10. Brady lateral to Amendola. Back across the field to Deion Lewis, who uh, runs for a nice game there before Miles Jack forces a fumble. Right? Now, he recovers it, as you see, but a premature whistle prevents any return on the play. Take another look. Oh, what might have been had the play not been blown dead. Jaguars would punt after a three and out. Now, same score. Minutes later, Patriots facing third and 18. Tom Brady, as he does so well, <laughs> comes up with a clutch play, finds Danny Amendola for the first down. Danny's playoff. Danny, oh, you're right. Let me call him by his real name. Amendola would later score on the drive under three minutes to play. Patriots down three with second and goal. Amendola for the playoff, touchdown. Danny I'm playoff. sorry, playoff. Mm-hmm. Danny playoff. I'm going to get this right. Don't want to slide him Take a, as you take another look. Great coordination there. Kept both feet in bounds. Patriots lead 24-20 after extra point. Next drive for the Jags from the Patriots 38. Blake Borders, Bortles tries to find an open Leonard Fournette. Down the sidelines. No go. Throw is a bit off the mark. Incomplete. Missed opportunity for the Jags. Moments later, 4th and 14 for the Jaguars. Bortles. Pass to D.D. Westbrook, broken up by Stephon Gilmore. So Blake Bortles, they put the game in his hands. You saw what happened. Nobody wasn't able to do the whole game. No downs. One. Yeah, you're right. Good call. One of the best running quarterbacks in the league. And nothing. Now. Be effective in that area. Minute 38 to play. Patriots, they can seal the win with the first down. And, of course, they get a first down because it's the Patriots. On the third nine, Lewis picks up 18 yards. And it just felt like even before they actually did come back, the, the Jaguars were not going to win this game. Look the way they ended the first half. 55 seconds and took a knee. Uh, and that drive was Brady's 11th game-winning drive in the fourth quarter overtime in his playoff career. That's as many as any two other quarterbacks have combined in the Super Bowl era. And four of those games, Brady trailed by at least 10 points in the fourth, including yesterday. I'm not a red flag guy. I'm not a concerned guy. Oh my God, how we can be optimistic on how we can get better. That's just who I am. I mean, I woke up smiling today. I was happy about today. I came in, had the music playing. I'm 
feel great about what today can bring. You know, and we go go to San Antonio versus a historically unbelievable great team. I'll be suited up. I'll be ready to go. And I give ourselves a chance anytime I'm in the lineup, that's for sure. All right, I respect where LeBron is coming from, uh, Brian Windhorst, but he is a I like to get to the finals and win it kind of guy. Uh, so what changes can the Cavaliers make to right all of these wrongs that we're seeing? Well, Jamal, they've got to make some lineup changes. Ty Lue has said he's not making them. I hope he's playing a game of rope-a-dope and it actually plans to unveil them because the starting lineup that they're putting out there, quite frankly, statistically and to the eye test, has been one of the worst lineups in the league this season. Right now... They have three guys in that lineup who, in my opinion, are bottom 15 defenders in the league. I'm sorry, J.R. Smith. You're terrible at defense right now. Isaiah Thomas is uh, really killing them on both ends. He's not able to score. And Kevin Love playing center is a terrible defensive position. It's as if they're starting every game down 10 or 12 points because of that starting lineup. And Ty Lue is sticking with it, much to the surprise of virtually everybody in the league I talked to. Now, uh, Brian, you just said that Isaiah Thomas is killing this team. The Cavs' defense is nearly eight points worse in terms of defensive efficiency when IT has been on the floor. So I know that they didn't get him for his defense, but I think people are probably a little surprised and startled that he struggled so much to fit in with this team. Why has that been the case? Yeah, Jamel, he's frustrating his teammates right now because he is a guy who has the ball in his hands a lot. He controls the ball. He dribbles the ball a lot. He doesn't pass the ball much. And when he's shooting 45% and averaging 30 points and not playing with other All-Stars like he did in Boston, that can work. Right now, he's really struggling. And it's getting on his teammates' nerves, especially him holding the ball. And quite frankly, you're right, they are worse on defense, but they're also worse on offense. If Isaiah was more himself, if he was the player he was before he got hurt and he was scoring, I don't think the Cavs players would be complaining as much. But right now, amongst themselves, internally in that locker room, Isaiah Thomas has caused some frustration, and that is something that Ty Lue and the team is going to have to evaluate as they decide on playing time going forward. Well, speaking of frustration, clearly the Bucks must have been frustrated with Jason Kidd, the decision uh, to let him go today. Uh, what do you make of that situation, Brian? Well, I know this may have surprised some people in the league today, or not in the league, but fans, but this has been one of the worst-kept secrets in the league for the last couple of months. Uh, the, the Bucks ownership and the Bucks front office felt that they were underachieving, especially defensively. And to be honest with you, over the last couple of weeks, there have been some people angling, wondering if they could get in uh, for the job, knowing that that Milwaukee job was eventually going to open either before the end of the season or by the end of the season. This was a coming thing. He had some difficulty with with changing uh, the way he played, and his players sometimes got frustrated. But at the end of the day, they weren't able to excel defensively. And frankly, from what I'm told, the Bucks were looking for an opportunity to make a move at this position. They've lost their last couple of games. They slipped to eighth in the playoff rankings. And even though they've got a game today, they felt like they could make the move now and have some uh, you know, some headway, some clearance to do it, and so that's why they did it. Yeah, it will be a very sought-off drive, that's for sure, with Giannis there and the other young pieces they have. Thanks a lot, Brian, for joining us. Thanks, Jamal. All right, Tiger Woods returns to the PGA Tour at Torrey Pines and the Farmers Insurance Open, his first start on tour since missing the cut at last year's Farmers. Uh, when we last saw Tiger, he was shooting three rounds in the 60s and finishing in the top 10 at the Hero World Challenge. Still searching for his first tour win since 2013. He'll try to do it against what's said to be one of the year's strongest non-major fields. Michael Lees, I love you, but I hate you. Uh, you are right back <laughs> where you were a year ago when Tiger didn't make the cut at that tournament. 
Uh, so are you buying or selling this latest comeback attempt? And if so, why? Well, as a golf fan, Mike, my heart would say always buy Tiger Woods stock because he's given us so many memories in the past and our heart yearns to see them yet again. My head would say don't buy because these last couple of times he's come back from some major surgery, including a back injury this time, the results have not been there. But the difference this time, Mike, is that Tiger's not the only one who believes this comeback will be different. Albert Einstein once said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Sure, Einstein was a genius, but he never saw Tiger Woods stalk a putt at the PGA Championship or chip in from off the green at the Masters. Here it comes. Oh, my goodness. Seemingly, no matter how many comebacks Tiger makes from his long list of ailments, golf fans not only want, but expect him to come back as fierce and exciting as when he once dominated golf during the 2000s. Yet the last time Tiger was in this position, the comeback was over before he could yell four. The scorecard was almost surreal. Not a very good day from the very start. I think his days of domination are over. So why should we believe him this time? Well, tour members and swing coaches point to his increased ball speed off the tee, which in December stayed around 180 miles per hour during his four exhibition rounds in the Bahamas, a number that's well above tour average. And Tiger can likely attribute that renewed explosiveness to an increase in his flexibility, which has reminded some tour pros of Tiger's early days. It's awesome to see him playing some solid golf. He just looks so much better, so much healthier, and, you know, freer in the golf swings. Several of those who spent time around Tiger during and since the Bahamas say that the 14-time major winner exudes a calmness about him now that always felt forced in the past. Next on the tee, please welcome Tiger Wood. So now Tiger returns to Torrey Pines the same venue where he played his last PGA Tour event one year ago and the site of his last major victory nearly a decade ago. Hoping to live up to some of Einstein's other wisdom. Learn from yesterday. Live for today. Hope for tomorrow. And it's that hope that keeps golf fans coming to the golf course and also tuned into television whenever Tiger plays. But again, one year ago, he made a comeback and he played three total rounds in 2017 before his year was over. Another back surgery, but this time he says he feels better, he's working out better. So that's why he's way more optimistic here in 2018 than he would tell us last year in 2017. We'll see what happens here in a couple of days. Michael Eves, always great television. Way to hit it right down the fairway. All right, a developing story here on SportsCenter. The Bucks have fired Coach Jason Kidd late this afternoon, as first reported by Adrian Wojnarowski, later confirmed by the team. Woj, uh, he joined us earlier to explain why. Basically, it's a rift in the organization, a rift with not necessarily Giannis, but a non-alignment, as he called it. Uh, nevertheless, here is Bucks GM John Horst. You know, we made we made this decision relatively quickly. Um, why now? At the end of the day, we, we believe this gives our team the best opportunity to uh, have the most success this season, uh, the success that we expect, and going forward long term. And so 
Uh, you have short windows in the NBA to, to build towards contention and a- actually contend, and we don't want to waste time in putting our team in the best position to do that. All right, here's a summary of how Jason Kidd did as Milwaukee's coach. Bucks went 139 and 152 in four seasons under Kidd with last season's 42 and 40 record. His best in his three full seasons with the team. He reached the playoffs twice, but the Bucks were eliminated in the first round both times. Go down under, shall we? Novak Djokovic, six-time champ. First time in action since Wimbledon last July, thanks to that elbow injury, taking on 21-year-old Young Chung. Uh, second set, advantage Chung up 6-5. Djokovic's forehand will find the net. So Chung takes a second set, 7-5. Third set, 5-all. Djokovic at the net. And there we go again. Starting off 6-5, he's feeling it. He's feeling like he's supposed to make a history. More on that in a second. Match point. Chung saves it in the corner. Djokovic's shot is wide. Chung, straight set winner, 7-6, 7-5, 7-6. He's the first Korean to reach the last eight at a major. Our ESPN2 Australian Open coverage continues tonight, highlighted by Rafa Nadal in the men's quarters. Coverage starts at 9 p.m. Eastern. All right, Mike, take a quick guess. How do you think Philly fans handled their appearance here or going to the Super Bowl? Well, ah! I like that Vikings fans did their thing on the Rocky Steps. Yeah, they did the skull chant um, uh, on the Rocky Steps, as you said. Uh, so in Team Petty, the Eagles, they retaliated by throwing beers at the Vikings fan after the win. Um, Rocky was also found dressed in Vikings paraphernalia. And this may not be received well by the locals. That's pretty good. I have to say, on a level of pettiness, I, I, I'm kind of digging that. Both those fan bases did well for themselves. Both, both had a 100-year-old fan. Yeah, they you know, did. The but wait, you, got you got to see me, how so. they were insulting Millie. It was not nice. Um, all right, Philly police. They used Crisco grease to prevent fans from climbing light That's poles. Come on. <laughs> There's nothing that will deter Philly fans from getting their celebration Actually, that's on. like an incentive. <laughs> Right. I would encourage that. Yeah, um, right. I would think so. But uh, you testing our gangster. Yeah, right. We'll show you something. Right. Um, is that Jasmine Alexander, our producer up there? Just wondering. <laughs> I'm sure she's got some uh, Crisco. Look at this tweet from the cops there. <laughs> free advertising. Yeah, it's free advertising for Crisco. Yeah, they um, haven't know how that was going to turn out. Yeah, they basically dared them. The fact they were putting them on parking meters was hilarious. Yeah. And um, our number one. Silly fan of the evening. How's this dude doing? Like <laughs> trying to catch the train. I shouldn't laugh. You're right because we we cannot confirm what happened as a result of the. Oh, got to keep your head on the swivel, big guy. The pole. He fought the pole, and the pole. I'm won. struggling to laugh because I've done that sober. <laughs> I mean, just you ever done that in the house? Like you're just walking around walking, the house. I, I did walk through a play glass window door, rather, because you know I would. Because you know. <laughs> Completely sober, too. A uh, reminder to watch Sports Center at 11 with Kenny Maine, John Anderson. They'll have everything from Houston with the Rockets looking to cut into the Warriors' lead in the West. Plus, I heard Oklahoma KD State. clap back at Capella. He did. Uh, said his job was easy. Superstar Trey Young has a side that many do not know. And Tiger Woods' his comeback at Torrey Pines. All right, before we call it a day, who had a good day? Ooh, it is a good day for former Patriots backup quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo. You know... You have it well when you can still make money and not be on the team, which is exactly what's happening for him. According to Adam Schefter, he gets 79000 in bonuses. Uh, that'll be paid out to him. 
for New England's playoff wins and the trip to the Super Bowl. However, if they win the Super Bowl, he gets another 112 grand. Uh, with a Super Bowl loss, he still gets money, a minimum of 56 grand. Bottom line is his minimum takeaway would be $135,000. Cause he's gonna be hurting for cash this offseason. Oh yeah, cause we're gonna pay him Might and we're gonna like contract. it. Best check we could write. Hey, I can't see enough of this video. This is Julie Ertz, U.S. national team star, wife of Zach Ertz. Oh, Zach Ertz, he's a great tight end, but he's really her husband. That's his, that's Correct. his main it's claim. Title, right. Just their reaction, her reaction to hearing that he made the Super Bowl, his reaction to seeing her react to him making a Super Bowl relationship goals in a nutshell. Oh, so very positive. <laughs> All right, that's it for the six. North Carolina, Virginia Tech up next on ESPN. We'll see y'all tomorrow for Super Tuesday. We got Kansas and Oklahoma, so lots of good college basketball. We'll see y'all later.